Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And on this stop on the mission, a bona fide legend. The iconic A Raisin in the Sun, the 1961 adaptation of Lorraine Hansberry's equally legendary play starring Claudia McNeil, Diana Sands, Ruby Dee, and Sidney Poitier. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, Mr. Webb, do we have any business that we should conduct? Why, certainly, Vince, we certainly do. We want to thank each and every one of you who are out there watching and uh, enjoying our show as we stream live on video on YouTube, as well as in our Facebook group. Uh, Shout out to each and every one of you. What's up? Vince, we got letters. We've got emails, Vince. All right. We received an email from Matt Lampert. Hey, Matt. Uh, In regards, in the subject line, it says term paper. Okay. Hey, guys. Wanted to say, first off, that I'm a big fan of the show and love how you have found a way to keep it going through the pandemic. Thank you, Matt. I am working towards obtaining my master's degree in mental health counseling, and I recently submitted a term paper where I was instructed to develop a three-level action plan to learn more about the culture of a culture of my choosing. I I immediately thought of your review of Barry Jenkins' Moonlight and decided Hmm. to listen to it uh, again and spend time discussing the movie's themes for this project. The paper covers topics relating to intersexuality, the systemic uh, um, perpetuation of biases and prejudice in children, and models of racial identity development. I would be remiss if I did not let you know that I used your review of Moonlight in the first section of my paper and cited your podcast as a reference. Oh, I've written into the show a few times, once regarding Soul Plane and once regarding <laughs> Juice. Wow, talking about like the gamut. I know, right? <laughs> um, and am aware that you usually take the time to read responses in full. As I'm providing the entire seven paragraph section of the paper where I reference the mission below, I wanted to say that you should not feel obligated to read this all on the air. Just wanted to let you both know the impact that your show has had on my enjoyment of film, as well as the expansion of my cultural knowledge. Much love, Matt. And then he sent us, like, basically his, um, you know, that part of his Oh, of his thank paper. you, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Honored. Honored to be cited. I am. That, that is really cool. Yeah. That is really yeah. cool. And you know Excellent. what? It's actually interesting for me on a personal note to hear that because I was actually in a conversation with somebody not too long ago and we were talking about Moonlight. Um, We were talking about Mm -hmm. black films, but we were talking about Moonlight in particular. And that person, and I don't want to paraphrase uh, what they said, but that person didn't enjoy Moonlight. um, Okay. And felt that uh and i'm paraphrasing here 
felt that the movie did a uh, a bit of a disservice to the representation of black men in film. And um, I mean, why? Because I mean, why? Well, I'll just say why. I won't jump the gun. But why? Well, because of you know the homosexual themes in the in the movie. So 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 just so just by default, any depiction of a homosexual black man is a representation of black men that this person you were talking to didn't agree with. Well, I don't know. If, I, I'm not going to go so far as say as any representation, but I think it was more to the representation as it was depicted in that film. And I don't want to go too much deep into it because like this was a conversation I had maybe like a couple of weeks ago. So sure, sure. Not, all of it is not on my mind. I don't want to miss, you know, misrepresent entirely what the person was. Sure. Was and I'm familiar with the conversation because I've had a version of that conversation several times. I actually talk about it on the review. Yeah. Where, yeah. where, where there is this, there was this vein of thought mm-hmm. about Moonlight. And, and I, I will say this, the person that you were talking to, did they see Moonlight? Yes. Okay. Well, and I'll say, well, then they're a step ahead of a lot of people that yeah, I they, talk to. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of people that refuse to see it. Right. Like they just refuse to see it. So yeah. Yeah. And it's a shame because it's a beautiful film. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. But thank you, Matt. You thank have to you, let Matt. us know how you did on the paper. Please do. Um, we also got an email, Vince, from uh, Azia Taylor. We haven't heard from her. Hey, Azia. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all the stress nowadays, I can't wait to escape reality to listen to every new episode of the Michelle Mission. One question, though. Are you okay. going to continue with the binge lounge? <laughs> Is this a plant, Lynn? No. Did you tell her to ask that? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I was quite surprised when I saw that email. I was like, ah, <laughs> yet another show that has found its way to the <laughs> d- deeper recesses of the Michelle Mission catalog. Uh, Azia uh, continues, if so, would you consider discussing, uh, would you consider a discussion about The Wire? Also... Oh. Just wanted to include a few of my favorite Vince comments from the past. Oh, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to go in reverse order with this one. Um, (laughs) Number three. I wish for God you all, I wish for God you call me on Thanksgiving unless it's the hotter body. (laughs) Isn't that funny? We were just talking about Thanksgiving shenanigans. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Vince comment, Vince quote number two. Vincent, this is your father. <laughs> it's 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 one hundred percent accurate. It is one hundred percent accurate to this day. And coming in solidly at the number one Vince quote in the Azia Taylor uh, count off. <laughs> Let me see if I do this justice. Richie! <laughs> Richie! He could 
cannot believe his brother had died in that little plane crash. <laughs> I was thinking about the Big Bopper three weeks ago, and I thought the same thing I said then, that I feel bad for the Big Bopper, because nobody, nobody ever talks about the Big the Bopper. Big was in that plane crash, too. Nobody knows. Nobody talked about the Big Bopper. It's like Buddy Holly, Richie Valens people have done an amazing job over the past 30 years bringing his name into the conversation. Nobody talks about the Big Bopper. Big Bopper died too. Nobody even thinks to look up the Big Bopper's real name. (laughs) (laughs) Including us. That's a shame. And that is that is that is a shame. That is a yeah. shame. You know? And um I, I'm not finished with Aziza t- uh, uh email. <laughs> she says, for all new listeners, please don't, don't miss the rants from the following episodes. <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy. Yes, yes, yes. That's gonna follow us to our graves. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Oh yeah, because that was you. Oh, d- does she say the follow up where you where you amended your uh, critique? Oh no, oh no, no. Okay, no, nobody ever see- hears the apology, Vince. You know, <laughs> nobody ever hears the apology. No, it's just it's, it's just a rant. Right, right. Uh, then she says, and a twofer. The attack the block episode. Because that features the original acrimony rant. And then the acrimony episode for part two of the rant. Thanks for all you do, Aziza. Thank you, Aziza. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. You really hated acrimony. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. I'm just mad. You don't have a rant. You haven't ranted against the movie yet. I did driving Miss Daisy. Uh, I guess you ran it. Yeah, I guess you ran it a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um. Uh, and also, Tyler Perry's Temptation, a film by Tyler Perry. I think that counts as a rant. I guess that does count a bit of a rant. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That is very true. Um, Deborah Battle, who says she's happy to see our our smiling faces tonight. Hey, Uh, Deborah. She says that most people don't know who the Big Bopper is at all, and that's I'm telling you. Yeah, and that's very true. And let's 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 uh, let's write that wrong, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to shine a little light on the Big Bopper. The Big Bopper, uh, who in real life was Giles Perry Richardson Jr., uh, was an American musician, singer, songwriter, and disc jockey, best known for Chantilly Lace. Chantilly Lace. Um, and White Lightning, the latter of which became George Jones' first number one hit. Uh, he also died tragically in the 
airplane crash um, back in 1959 in a in Clear Lake, Iowa, along with Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and the pilot, Roger Peterson. The accident yeah. was famously referred to as the day the music died in Don right, McLean's right. 1971 song, American Pie. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. And yeah. now we've all learned about the Big Bopper. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to learn by the time you go to bed at that that's night. Why, that's why you get up every morning. That's right. You, dude, you got to. You have to. You have to. Uh, George Kimona says that a wire binge would be awesome. Yeah. 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 You know um, what? I actually am. I'm in the middle. I'm actually on the final season. I probably only got like about three more episodes left of of, uh, rewatching The Sopranos. Okay, how's that hold up? Oh my god, that is such a good show. That Mm -hmm. is a really. I mean, outside of like you know some some of the technology, you know, you're seeing you know uh, Tony Soprano with these big ham hands. And this very like tiny flip phone in it, you know what I right, mean? Right, right. So that's that's a little weird, but that movie is like spot on, fantastic. But I uh, didn't know that the Sopranos, the Sopranos, which went off the air in like two thousand six, two thousand seven, that show even had Michael K. Williams on it. <laughs> In in an HBO show, he was on that yeah. show as well. I mean, yeah. it's a small role on one episode, but I'm like, dang, he is like on. I think he has been in on every HBO drama since The Sopranos. He's done a, a bit in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I try to do a wire watch every couple of years. I'm actually due for a wire rewatch. I'm due for a wire rewatch, so I watch it. Uh, Every year, I probably I probably have watched it. Uh, probably it's been about maybe two three years since I watched right, right. it. You know, um, the fourth season stops me cold a lot, though. That's the kids, right? Yeah, that's the kids. The kids get me yeah. every time. Yeah, man. That is, and and then from there, even though the episodes aren't about to, well, because it's one more season after the kids. Yeah, right? it's, yeah, it's one more season after the kids. But the kids are still the prominent kids, in that last season. Right, they're around, right. Yeah, it's uh whoo. It's a It's a good sh- it's a good show though. I was actually tempted to watch it uh, um alongside their there's a new podcast that started up. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh uh way down in the hole with uh, Yeah, uh Jamel Hill, right? Jamel Hill. And yeah. uh I started to I started to watch it but then i just got i got caught up in a bunch of other stuff so i i didn't but um yeah it's, it's definitely worth we watching i don't know if i mean maybe we could do a binge lounge talking about it uh, we're way overdue for a binge lounge i know i know i know and it's not I me know. ladies and gentlemen it's yeah, he's right he is right i i'm you look I, I i have to say the time that we have i like digging deeper into the film yep I say, Vince, let's do a binge lounge. Let's do the work. I'm like, okay. I, that's, that is a direct quote. That is a direct quote. I'm like, okay. That is a direct quote. Trying to give us a night I, off, I, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do the work. Let's do the work. All right. Well, maybe. Maybe in January. 
Like we're talking about eighties, like like we just were talking about eighties Richard Pryor movies. We or just like bizarre eighty, and and there's so many things. Just earlier today, I told my daughter we were doing a Raisin in the Sun, and she was like, "Y'all haven't done a Raisin in the Sun yet." And I was like, "There are so many films mm. we haven't done. There's a lot. There's so great you deal. know, great deal." Um, but but yes yes yes. If if we do a binge lounge, the wire is shortlisted. Most definitely. We also got a question, Vince, on Twitter. Okay. Uh, let me from a new fan. I had it saved to share with you. Uh, let's see. Hold on, hold on. Uh, uh, talk amongst yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> In this tweet, real quick. Uh, okay, okay, here it is. All right. Um, from J Maverick Jackson. Hey, J Maverick Jackson uh, on Twitter. Um, it says uh, Michelle Mission, a podcast on every black film. Wow, yes. ambitious. I've seen only a few Oscar Michaud films, but love them. What's your list of best black films? Pootie Tang was the only film trailer that ever got me off my couch and headed to the theater immediately. (laughs) That's, um... I don't know what to say about that. Sadate. Sadate. I mean, I like Pootie Tang, but <laughs> I didn't rush to the theater. That didn't. Uh, but but Jay Maverick has a question for us, Vince. A, a true question. Okay. And this is the eternal question of the Michelle mission. Okay. How do you define black film? A film with a black protagonist? A film in which blacks had major creative input? Is Captain America, colon, Civil War, which introduced Black Panther, a black film? Blazing Saddles, Summer of Sam, Pulp Fiction. Why or why not? Yeah, I mean, that is that is the ongoing question. That is the that ongoing is, question. That is the, I mean, speaking of 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 work that we haven't done and arguments that we haven't had that have been hanging in the air for literally years at this point. I was talking about Spike Lee's Second Wind. At some point, I'm bringing up 25th Hour and Summer of Sam. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. films that, you know, have very minimal, if at all, black cast. Right. But they're Spike Lee films. And are those black films? I don't know. I guess we got, you know, <laughs> we'll grapple with it. I mean, Blazing Saddles, we reviewed, and we definitely said yeah. it's a it's a black film. Um, Absolutely. I think you, among other people, have brought up the possibility of Pulp Fiction being seen as a black film. Right, right, right. There were there was, I think it was uh, Maurice Poplar who made an argument mm-hmm. for Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, there's no hard hard set rule about it. I mean, sometimes you know. Sometimes, you know, you can't define a black film. You just know it when you see it. You know what I mean? Right. 
And and it, sometimes it's just as simple as that, uh, to be honest. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see down the line which, which right, right, comes right. up, you know. Hey. Right. Like we've talked about um, King of New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I feel like Christopher Walken is the only white guy in Chris- King of New York. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, and famously, we had a guest that was prepared to argue the Dark oh. Crystal. Yes, yes, yes. Your guest, by the way, your guest. <laughs> well, they didn't come on, so it's fine. Yeah, no, 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 they didn't. So it's fine. All right. But All thank right. you, thank you, and, and welcome, welcome to the party, and we'll take it case by case. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, before we get into our review, there was a bit of uh, news that I actually w- was surprised that really struck a chord with the missionaries in the Facebook group. Um, were you a fan of the HBO series In Treatment, Vince? No, uh, I was not. I didn't. I didn't watch it. Yeah, I think that was the series that Gabriel Byrne was was yeah. basically was a psychiatrist, and each mm-hmm. episode was him just basically talking to his patient, you know, a different yeah. patient each episode. And uh, HBO is doing a reboot of the series, and they've cast uh, Uzo Aduba to be the oh, new. Yeah, the new, you know, um, protagonist, I guess, or psychologist. Yeah, yeah. In that series, um, and the Michelle missionaries. They were really, really excited about this. Uh, Rao Keffel said, I actually uh, searched before posting, just read an article about this, and I got so excited. The show is inexplicably excellent. I have been watched it a lot, and this one stayed with me for years. I will just add the last line in the article I read so we can all set our expectations. Production for In Treatment Season 4 is set to begin this fall under COVID-19 guidelines with a premiere scheduled for 2021. So uh, everybody's really looking forward to that show. And um, I, I've i heard nothing but great things for the show and maybe this will be a reason for me to go and check it out on uh, HBO Max and relive it. And I'm a big fan of hers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me big too. fan of hers. So me so, too. Looking forward to uh, it. Just a follow up to our conversation. You, you, you saw they're going to stream Wonder Woman, right? Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be streaming you saw that. on I'm Christmas Day, you. as well as being released into the theaters. Right, right. All four of them. Vince. It's going to be released in theaters as well on Christmas Day. Okay. So, I'm he- telling you, we're in the midst of a shift. You're in the midst of a shift. I understand. I understand. But you know what else is coming? It's going to uh, streaming on Christmas Day. The Pixar movie Soul, which is the first Pixar movie that kind of like features black characters as as like the leads in the film. And it deals with uh, soul music and jazz and everything like that. So I was curious, Vince, on Christmas Day, if you have to make the choice of which film to stream for your family. Oh, Soul. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely so. <clears throat> I mean, that's ju- I mean, that's just the that's just how family th- my family would work. Like that's something all four of us want to see. 
Wonder Woman, two of us want to see it, and one of us is like, all right, I'll watch it, being my wife. Oh, <laughs> that could have easily been Adam. So <laughs> Right. Oh, no, no, no. Adam, Adam, I don't think, has any skin in the game whatsoever with Wonder Woman. Oh, really? Not yet? Yeah, yeah. It's coming. It's coming. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's almost about that time for us to get into our review of A Raisin in the Sun. And I just want to point out to you, Vince... That this review that we are doing tonight is actually like you put it out. We're reviewing one of the, um, the 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 plays and some would say even the movie that are considered like landmarks and achievements in both their fields, a stage. And, oh yeah, and absolutely. Um, but this is also a a film that we are reviewing this evening that means a great deal to one of our missionaries. And that is Deborah Battle. Uh, Deborah Battle, and she's actually and making people uh, aware of this in the comments, is saying that uh, this film, A Raisin in the Sun, was actually uh, taught to her by a high school teacher, uh, Donnell Lease. Um, that was her, her teacher's name. And he actually wrote a song that Kanye West sampled for a song about his mother. Uh, she just found out that uh, her teacher uh, recently died due to COVID-19. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And therefore, this episode is uh, has special meaning for her because this was something that uh, he helped her with um, back in school. So, um, you know, we, we're sorry for your loss. Deborah, Absolutely. Most definitely. And um, and our condolences go out to you and to your teacher's family and friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So sorry to hear that. It's nothing like a good English teacher. Amen, dog. It is nothing like, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but it's nothing like a good English teacher. Nothing yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. All right. So, Deborah Battle, this review is for you. All right. Let us get into our review of 1961's A Raisin in the Sun. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. My name is David Suskind, and my business is producing entertainment for television and motion picture theaters. I have recently completed a new motion picture, A Raisin in the Sun. It is based on the play acclaimed by every drama critic in every city in which it was performed. It received the highest honor a play can receive, the New York Drama Critics Circle Award. Here is entertainment which is rare and unique, vastly different from anything you have experienced. I promise this to each and every one of you. When you see this picture, you will live it. After you leave the theater, you will talk about it. And for a long time afterward, you will remember a raisin in the sun. Thank you. 
1961 film based on the play by Lorraine Hansberry follows the Youngers, an African-American family living together in an apartment in Chicago. Following the death of their patriarch, they try to determine what to do with the substantial insurance payment they'll soon receive. Opinions on what to do with the money vary. Walter Lee, played by Sidney Poitier, wants to make a business investment while his mother, Lena, is intent on buying a house for them to live in. Two differing views of the American dream. Raising the Sun, besides Sidney Poitier and Claudia McNeil, also stars Ruby D. Diana Sands, with star-making turns by Ivan Dixon as Joseph... Asagai, Louis Gossett Jr. as George Murchison. And I pause because when I'm looking at it, it doesn't have the name on my listing of my favorite villain of all time. My actual favorite villain in fiction, Carl Lindner, played by John Field. Mm. Mm. Based on a screenplay by Lorraine Hansberry and directed by Daniel Petrie, A Raisin in the Sun was the choice of Lynn Webb. Mr. Webb, what say you of 1961's A Raisin in the Sun? I had never seen this movie. Um, I've always, you know, heard about it, knew, know of its, you know, renowned in um, the world of fiction as well as literature. <clears throat> I have seen local adaptations of the film, never like a big, you know, to do, never saw it on like Broadway or, or, uh, even in the bigger theaters here in Philadelphia has always been like some local theater group doing it. Um, so I was familiar with the story, but even then it's probably been at least 20 years since I've saw those. Right. So, a lot of it, a lot of the nuances was, um, had left me. Uh, so to, to, I was really, really looking forward to watching this film and, and taking it all in. And I have to say that for the most part, I was well rewarded for that. Um, 
what you have to realize is that in 1961, it is, it is still a big shock for there to be a major motion picture that features predominantly an all black cast. But even then, it is even more so a huge, you know, thing when that cast is allowed to just be human in a production, in a story. Um, there is, for most of this film, their blackness is not the meat of the story. It is just them living their life, having the lives of these black people on display for you. And I, that is very, very, um, progressive, especially for 1961. As, as close as that may sound, it actually is a long way away, um, a long time ago. And it is almost in a country that does not even exist anymore. Almost. Um, so watching watching these these characters just come to life on screen and just being able to just uh in, inhabit their own you know joys and fears and miseries and 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 anger and their and and take ownership of their own feelings and their own situations was truly truly enjoyable. I enjoyed it like no end. Um, a lot of this film in watching it because it pro pro predominantly takes place in this one, you know, this small, you know, apartment complex, you are up front with, with the characters and you, are, <clears throat> you are, you, you can't look away from what they're going, what they're going through. The, the closeness of their, of their living situation. You wake up with the closeness in this living situation that, you know, the married couple, Sidney Portier and, uh, Ruby D, uh, uh, Walter and, uh, I just drew a blank on, um, Ruth, 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 uh, Walter Lee and Ruth asleep in their bed only to, open up and their son is sleeping on the couch because he doesn't have he doesn't have a bed you know um and he's a, the boy that's easily about seven or eight years old so you can imagine for seven eight years he, he's never had a bed this is his bed his bed is is the couch um this this apartment which is a three which is a three bedroom apartment doesn't have a bathroom it shares the bathroom with the apartment down the hall you know you be People have to race in and out to the bathroom. This is reality of, you know, living in 1961, the black experience in 1961. And yet it's not called out about. It's just a fact of the matter that they have to deal with and they just deal with it. You know, it's not raining, ramming against it. It's just like, oh, this is what we got to deal with. This is our life. And you're introduced into their life. And I thought that was just uh, I know. I could feel how refreshing that was for 1961 and I was enjoying that refreshment and watching the film. Um, the, 
the the chemistry between the all of this family from Walter Lee and Ruth all the way down to Benita who is played by Diana Sands the uh, Walter Lee's younger sister to their the mother the patriarch of the family uh Lena uh mama played by Claudia McNeil um and who else could play the mother in a raisin in the sun but Claudia McNeil um just and embodies it in, in that whole film <laughs> that their chemistry um is tight you know uh it makes sense because this is for the most part is the entire cast from the stage mm-hmm. play so mm-hmm. th- th- that had been running since 1959 to mad accolades so they these characters were in their bones. You know, they knew, you could sense that they knew how each other was going to act in, in, in a particular moment. And they were, and they were firing on all cylinders in the film. Um, this film has some very strong, powerful moments. None more powerful than to me. Then when uh, Diana Sands' character, Benita, and talking about a coming out party for Diana Sands in this movie, what Diana Sands' character, Benita, gets in a back and forth with her mom about the Mm. idea of God and her thoughts on God, which are not the ramblings of of some, you know, chicken head or anything like that there are well thought out perspectives on god but she's doing (laughs) them in her mama's house Mm. unless she don't know that she's in her mama's house the set you can see that this is not going to end well when claudia mcneil just looks at her and just doesn't even like face does not move. And the second you see her put her hands on the table, I'm like, well, <laughs> she's about to brace herself and she braces herself, gets up, walks over to Benita and she doesn't. And the, the, the crazy thing is she does. She smacks her, but she doesn't smack like the bejesus out of her. She smacks her just enough to let her know where she is and who she's talking to. And that's real, that's real talk. That's that's black family talk. That's black family talk right there. That's black family. Um, and it's just a real powerful moment. Um there is the 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 story of this film is kind of slight. It's this family. They're dealing with, you know, they've got a uh insurance check coming. Uh, life insurance check for the passing of their father and this $10,000 life insurance check means a whole new world for all of them that's that's how far $10,000 went in 1961 ladies and gentlemen this $10,000 1961 money which might as well be $500,000 in 2020 money do you know how happy I would be if a check for $10,000 showed up at my house right now 
<laughs> probably be just as happy as Walter Lee jumping up on the table <laughs> doing African dances. Um, uh, I mean, oh, I mean, so yeah, they're dealing with that, and each and every one of them. Well, not no, no, that's not fair. One of them has their eyes set on what this money is going to do for them. The other ones are have their eyes set on what this money can do for all of them. Um, and the dichotomy of that and the emotions that spring out of that yin and yang are palpable on the screen. Uh, so much so that when the the person who has the rawest emotions about this, Sidney Poitier, when he's not on the screen, and he's not on the screen a whole lot, you know, especially in the, that, first half in the movie. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. He's not there, yet his presence is still felt mm-hmm. because that's, that's, right. a, that's the impression that he, he left. In, in the, right. He's still in the room when he's not in the room. That's right. Um, and that is that is speaks to Sidney Poitier and it speaks to the 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 writing and the acting that is on display in this film. Um and and you know you talk about star making turn by Ivan Dixon. I mean we're not gonna go into the what you know uh dialect he was using to play a Nigerian but just the idea what you will not speak ill of Joseph Asagai on my watch. I'm not going to speak ill of him. I'm talking about okay. the, the actor Ivan Dixon. I'm not going to talk about his his uh, accent uh, uh, that he had. Uh, uh, you are but, not going to speak ill of Ivan Dixon as Joseph Asagai. But his performance, that notwithstanding, was very, very beautiful. And what I liked about it was because... In one, in, from an American point of view and from his point of view, you see the difference in the American's point of view of Africa, Africa's point of view of the of America, um, and all in honest terms. You know, not in mm-hmm. any belittling of anything. It's just it's just referencing points of view. You have an introduction, a, a literal and authentic introduction into African lore and customs and culture by way of this movie. And this is 1961 that you had this. This is 1961 that is still fighting, ladies and gentlemen, against Tarzan movies getting made. This movie makes a joke about what people don't think about Africa is from Tarzan. That's because that's what the the movies uh, movie theaters are still putting out in 1961. You know, this is the counteract to that. Um, so that is a great term. George, uh, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. makes his film debut in a very small <laughs> role, but he gets over in this film. Everybody gets over in this film. You talk about John Fielder, who comes in on the second half of the second half of the movie, and the second he walks in, it's almost you can almost hear the music dun 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 because you know the villain just walked into the into the piece, um, uh, and. That had and, and and that interestingly enough is the only time to me where race is brought to the forefront of the story. And even then, 
it is still dealt in a very nuanced and thoughtful way, not indicative of 1961, um, not indicative of 1959 when this play actually was written. Um, mm-hmm. So I walk away from this film really amazed at all that I took in. I have some small gripes about it, which I think that ultimately to me, um, keep the film itself from reaching the high, like, like the highest standards of, of, of accolades to me, but it's still mm-hmm. an amazing achievement nonetheless. But I'm going to give you your, mm-hmm. your room. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've read this play. I have studied this play. I've I've taught this play. I've I've this is if it, this or Uptown Saturday Night was the first black film that I ever saw. Mm. When I was like 7 8 years old, uh, I teach this play. I teach this movie. I love every single thing about this film. Do you teach I'm, every- I'm sorry, real quick. He said you teach the play. Do you teach the play? And the movie or primarily the play? I teach the play and the movie because I do think that there are important differences. You want to talk about small, not even grievances. There are, there are, there are one or two decisions that are made because this is a movie Mm -hmm. that I think weaken it in comparison to the play. We can talk about that later, but, but, but I, I just think this is a film that I always like I always hesitate to use the term Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. But when I think Shakespearean, I always think of a text that the more you dig into it, the more it rewards you. Right. Like it like it's just a never-ending well of reward mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for for your for for your exploration of it. You, you know, something like Something like, uh, y- you know, John Coltrane's My Favorite Things, that whole album. A Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory, for mm-hmm. me, is is something that it just keeps giving. And this is a film that even today, watching it, and, and again, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this film. I, I just love, I love the performances. I think, I think we, you, you, we joked a little bit about the theatrical nature of some of Sidney Poitier's performance. Oh, I'll get there. But I think this is a big role. Mm -hmm. This is a big role. And and I'm so glad that you said you've seen other productions of it because I think it is a role. It's sort of like Stanley in Streetcar Named Desire where the role is so big or appropriately enough, as someone who played in in one of the um, runs of it a few years ago, Denzel Washington, where he plays Troy. I think Troy in Fences mm-hmm. is another one of these roles that is very difficult to bring humanity to the role mm-hmm. because the role itself is so epic. And I think you see so many shades of emotion with Sidney Poitier in this film. He's he's very angry. Yes. He's actually mean sometimes. Like the scene with him and George Murchison, played by Louis Gossett, is a wonderful scene because Walter is mean. Yes. 
He's funny. He's charming. He's depressed. He's proud. And Sidney Poitier captures all of that. You said it. Uh, di- talking about seeing this as a kid, Diana Sands, like I joke about Yuhura and I joke about Thelma from Good Times. Mm-hmm. Diana Sands is beneath a 100% shaped the way I loved women. Mm. Like she is 100% the prism that as nine, eight, you know, nine, 10 years old, I said, that's what a woman is. Mm-hmm. She is smart. She is sexy. She is goofy. Yeah. Yeah. She is funny. Mm-hmm. She all, all of Diana Sands is fantastic. I think she steals the movie. Claudia McNeil, I think even in 1961, this mama role is one that very easily could have been one note. Yes. And stereotypical. And I think Claudia McNeil brings humanity. She brings warmth. She brings um, complexity. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, that scene that you're talking about where she slaps, where, where she slaps Benita. I, I've always said there are two instances of... of violence actually three if you count um ruth saying that she's going to um spank travis right but it's mama and mama and 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 walter lee calls her out for he says you know you talk about your children you talk about their dreams but really you just want to control everyone yeah and he's not wrong nope so she's wonderful she's wise she's this but she has her faults Mm -hmm. you know my because again this is just this is my jam yeah i know for the past five years i have really dug into ruby d's performance in this film ruth is such a wonderful character you don't get the fireworks no that you get with the other characters but there is so much going on with ruth so I love the performances. I think this script, written by Lorraine Hansberry, who wrote the play, mm-hmm. I think it is razor sharp. It is razor sharp. And, you know, talking about these performers, something that you just said, these four players, every combination is wonderful. Walter and Ruth, Walter and his mother, Walter and Benita, Le- uh, Lena, and Ruth as the two mothers, mm-hmm. Benitha and Lena as mother-daughter, mm-hmm. Benitha and Ruth as in every combination is gold in this thing. I think the um I think the the, the side characters are nice. I joked about Joseph Asagai. I love Joseph Asagai, but I always keep my eye on Joseph Asagai. <laughs> Because the more you listen to Joseph Asaga, the slipperier, the slipperier he gets. Okay. I think it's very easy to talk about George Murchison, but Joseph Asaga has his own stuff too. And I think the play, again, back to this script, very subtly plays with it. Mm. I call him Carl Lindner because that's his name in the play. He's Mark Lindner in the movie. I just said it. He's my absolute favorite villain in fiction really lex luthor dr doom thanos uh, look carl lindner is the perfect villain Why? because he makes sense uh, 
because he makes sense. And if you don't watch yourself, you are on the side of the racist. Mm. I love this film because I think the themes, uh, you know, the, you said it basically when you said, um, you, you know, race isn't at the forefront. I think race is intertwined because this is about the American dream. Exactly. Exactly. This is a story about the American dream and talking about race. This is a story about how black people have been shut out mm-hmm. of that dream. And, and, and the way that this film deals with the American dream through the eyes of gender. I think, again, the big story is Walter Lee. And you see the arc of him coming into his manhood, as they say. And I, you know, I think in 1961, it is radical that Lorraine Hansberry articulates the fact that your material success or even the the, the the sort of traditional markers of manhood like like you know he 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 owns a home and mm-hmm. and and all of this stuff that's not what defines manhood manhood is about character right so right. that even when she gives him the money even when he makes the big business deal it is not until that moment of adversity where he stands up that the play through the mouth of Lena says he come into his manhood together but the remarkable thing about gender is how it deals with women. Yes. Again, I think these three female characters are absolutely fascinating and radical for 1961. And none more so than, as you said, Benitha. Benitha is the gift that keeps giving. Mm-hmm. Benitha is smart. I love the fact that Benitha is, is sexually autonomous. Mm-hmm. And has her own agency. There are several moments in this film, like my favorite, like one of my favorite funny moments where it's the three of them. And much like you, those are my favorite scenes, the yeah. scenes with the women. And she's talking about George Murchison and, and Ruth is teasing her about George Murchison and marrying him. And she said, George Murchison is good for going out in stuff. And Ruth, because Ruth is nobody's dummy, says, what is Anne's stuff? Mm-hmm. Lena laughs it off and then she thinks about it and says, yeah, what is Ann's stuff? <laughs> She's the one that asks Ruth, did you first, first she says, how far along are you in your pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Which is an oblique reference to abortion that then actually comes up. And think how radical that is for 1961. That's right. And then she says, did you plan it? Mm-hmm. So, and then my favorite thing about Benita, the thing that I love all the time is that when Mark Lindner comes in with this deal about buying the house back for him, from them, and all we know about racism is, is, and Lena says it, people lynching you and chase you, but it's a brand new day. Yep. Benita gets what's going on first. Oh, yeah, because she gets and, her hammer. And this is something that is consistent in the play. If you look at the stage directions in the play, it is very clear that Benitha is better equipped for this than anyone else in the family. Mm. So that again, like I'll, I will, st- like I'll, much like you, I'll just stop now so you can come back in. But but uh, look, this this is a diamond. This is a diamond. It it really is. I was just thinking because you reminded me about. Um... 
you know, how openly they speak about the pregnancy and the abortion without using, they don't say the, the abortion word, but they are very open. There's no ambiguity about what they're talking about because they're talking about, you know, destroying a life, destroying babies, right? Um, they just put it out there on front street and it just dawned on me that this is 1961. This is 1961 in the theaters. This is a, um, a black family that is uh, uh, speaking openly about these subjects. Mind you, this is also a black family that was speaking openly about these subjects for two years on stage on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this was up front and in your face. And just to give you an idea of the times that we are in at this, at this time, ladies and gentlemen, on television, if there is a married couple in a TV show, they are in separate beds yes. at this time. The, one of the most popular shows of, of the day is the Dick Van Dyke show at this time. The Dick Van Dyke show, which for its entire five-year run, somehow miraculously gave birth to a son by them sharing, sleeping in separate beds inside yeah, their oh yeah. bedroom. And yet this film opens up with a couple sleeping in bed one arm over the other entwined with one another you know what i mean uh this film speaks of you know pregnancy puts the word out there pregnancy um and speaks also of doing away with the pregnancy that is groundbreaking stuff and it's it's not spoken about in any type of it's not really spoken about in any type of demonistic way because while the while uh Lena the mother is definitely against it it's not, it's it's because it goes against her principles you know what i mean and it's also it doesn't it, i think it's really amazing that it doesn't overpower the rest of the movie it is just no. it, it it's just this because it is real life. It's this thing that you have to deal with. It's this one of the things that is happening in this, in this, uh, in the home and you got to deal with it. So much of this movie, I was reminded of, it felt like, it felt like a more realistic depiction of the honeymooners because the honeymooners would, would bend over backwards so that everything happened with in the apartment of Ralph and Alice Cramden, right? No matter mm-hmm. what happened outside. And this movie, despite us going a few times to other s- settings, um, but it, for the most part, all takes place within this apartment. Because even when we go to other settings, I don't think we're there for the longest time. We're maybe there. It's like two or three minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, I don't necessarily mind that. I mean that 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 is also a function of this being a play, this a movie adapted for a movie, right? Yeah. And we've we've talked about that. You've talked about that. You know how sometimes sometimes that can't just get away. You can't get away from the staginess of it, and you try to find ways to open it up. Um. So. When you're dealing with a play that especially that is so honored 
already by the time this hits the screens, I can understand if you don't want to tweak things but so much. And you've got the writer of the playwright also being the screenwriter as well. So she, who knows how much you you can tell me how much is she really tweaking of the dialogue but so much it's 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 pretty i mean it's 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 pretty much the dialogue it's pretty yeah, much I mean, the dialogue of the play little things yeah, but but no it's the play um i actually 100% agree with you though and this i mean that's one of my again that's my little why i will always choose the play over the film uh the the play is is just is just that one set Mm-hmm. in the living room and the couple of changes that they make i think bump up a little into the themes mm. in the play like i actually think it's it's so it's so funny that you focused on the bed because i think that's a misstep going into I that think, room i think so much of the play is about walter's journey into manhood mm-hmm. and the very first scene of the play ruth walks out of the bedroom you never see walter in there ruth wakes up travis and then she calls into the room to wake up walter Walter. so you have this duality of basically these two boys Mm. being awakened by a mother figure i think when you show walter in his marital bed not to put too fine of a point on it but it sexualizes him okay like he has to be a boy and so much, I mean, and they keep some of like that. It's that funny part where he gives Travis the money mm-hmm. and then he very sheepishly, he has to ask her for money too. Mm-hmm. So it's all it. So I don't like that. The other thing that I really don't like is that they show the house. Oh, you know, like I, in my I, mind, I felt that, that in my tactful. mind, the house, the house should be an, an ideal mm-hmm. because this is all about the American dream. So mm-hmm. nothing should be tangible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then finally, I think so much of Walter bouncing off of the walls, you got to feel that claustrophobia that he feels. Like, like you got to feel like, like, when, like those moments where he says, you know, I got to get out of this house. You really feel it when it's that one set. Right. Because right. it is like, damn, it, it is just everybody. Another moment, by the way, talking about Lena, one of my favorite little details um, where he says, I can't find no peace in this house. And then Lena says, have you found somebody else's house to find peace? in?" Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice and he one. says, why is it when something's wrong with a man? Y'all always think it's a woman. And I thought that was such a wonderful detail. It is. About it is. the way these men and women look at things differently. Mm-hmm. Like they really did not understand him yeah, and where he was coming from. That's true. That's very true. That's very, very true. But that's my little thing like that. That's it's like, uh, like every time they go, every, every time I see the scene where they go to the house and they're looking through the house, I just grip my teeth a little bit. Well, it's actually, it's, it's funny you say that because I, um, when they went to their house, I was paying attention that for the most part at their house, they're not saying anything. It's mm-hmm. a lot of it's, it's not dialogue. So it made me feel like this was definitely something that was kind of like tacked on. Now you you gotta imagine that she tacked it on because she she wrote the screenplay. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. um 
But there's very minimal dialogue there. And I thought like, oh, this definitely feels like something tacked on to try and open up the world a little bit. Um, and I didn't, I guess I didn't mind it because I didn't, I haven't seen the play, but I definitely don't feel it added anything to it. Mm-hmm. Like you, I, you definitely could have done a, done away with it. Um, my thing that's the tweaking is, is that this film we mentioned is the film debut of Lou Gossett Jr. Yes. But it is also the directorial debut of Daniel Petrie, who would go on to be, you know, a, a serviceable director. I don't think oh, yeah, he, there's right, anything right. like mind blowing in, in his filmography and in the TV work that he, he did. He made a living. But he, he made, made a living, living as a director. But this was his, this was his debut. And I feel that in this debut, he is hampered a little bit by the um the the fame that is a raisin in the sun mm. the fact that this is not only is this this acclaimed film is this acclaimed film that has now been written for the screen by the playwright and it is starring the actors who brought these characters to life on the stage and as a first-time director, I get the sense that he's not really directing. He's really just pointing the camera. Because there oh, are that's interesting. Because there are moments in this film, as good as the acting is, where you mentioned it, the theatrics that are on display are very much in line with what you would do on stage because your your movements have to be more have to be bigger because you're playing out to the cheap seats as well you know um you have to be more uh, uh um a, a little bit more uh thoughtful and direct in 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 how you're getting your dialogue across right and you know, all of these actors have done film work at this time, but I think because this these characters are so baked into them after two, doing it for two years or like almost almost a thousand performances on Broadway, that it's hard to dial that down unless you have a stronger director that's working with you. I think the reason why Diana Sands gets over and steals the movie so much is because I feel of all of them, she does dial down her, her acting a little bit more and it feels a little bit more natural, you know, Mm -hmm. even, even in the moments where she is, you know, a little histrionic, even though, even in the moments where she is more playful, when she comes in doing the, the dance, you know, the African dance, you know, she's definitely being more playful and more goofy there, but it still comes off as real. And I think that she feels like she's, you know, augmented what she's doing for the more intimate nature that the film will allow, whereas the rest of them, and probably Ruby D to a point as well, 
Um, but the rest of them are just still very big. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that is to the, the, that's what keeps the movie like just a little, uh, it just doesn't like really hit as much as I want it to. That, that, that would well, be my wrong gripe about it. Well, I ain't never going to fight you over Diana Sands being the best thing in a movie. <laughs> like, I'm never, ever going to fight you. <laughs> like, I want to just do Willie Dynamite next week and talk about <laughs> Diana Sands some more. <laughs> and then, like, them four episodes of Julia she was on. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. And I, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You, you know, I, 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 I don't. Again, I think it's sort of baked into these characters. I'm, I'm sort of scrolling through my head, kind of adaptations of plays into films, and then the characters, mm-hmm. like like plays that have like these and and I, I, like you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is in my head. And like all of those characters are just big. Oh God, I love that movie. Like they're just big, and 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 certainly you can see them on on stage. And but in film, I mean, again, street, you know, Streetcar Named Desire, same thing. Like it's just like these are just big characters. They are so, and I think where this is hampered more than everything else that I've named, even something like Glengarry Glen Ross, which is also one room, but it's a pretty big room. Mm-hmm. Like that, 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 that meeting room is a pretty big room. This is such a small space that, that 90% of the action is, is on. And I think the reason I'm kind of pushing back is that both Sidney Portier and Claudia McNeil have quiet moments in the film do they i mean well, i'm trying to think of sydney portier's real quiet moment that's in the apartment oh no 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 not necessarily in the apartment you know again i think just that space actually like sydney portier when Linus tells travis about the house and he's just sitting at the table silently well yeah yeah yeah. You know, I think that's a great scene. I mean, for the big speech at the end is not bad. Like when we talk about the bigness, mm-hmm. like, you know, when he grabs Travis. So I agree with you that there is there is bigness in the film, but I, I just, I suspect that's baked into the role. So, so. And I have to say, I actually like a couple of the the couple of, of decisions in the direction. Like he kept doing things with mirrors and reflections. Yeah, those those cool, cool little bits. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. But but you know, to go along with with what you said, these are really quibbles. Yeah, they, I mean, it is like, like it is like these are really quibbles, if yeah. nothing else. And 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 you know, like like what like what can you really say about a raisin in the sun? <laughs> Nothing. Like at I'm, the end of the day. 
Deborah Battle uh, brings up that this movie was made into a musical in the 70s called Raisin. I sure was. I remember that. I never saw it. Joe Morton. Joe Morton and Debbie Allen. Really? And and you know who played Travis. We've talked about this before. You 100% know who played Travis in Raisin. Samuel Jackson. I just forgot the actor's name, but Michael in Good Times. <laughs> Ralph. Oh. Uh, oh, Ralph Carter? Ralph Carter. Because remember, at the end of That's every episode, right. it used to say Ralph Carter appears courtesy of Raisin. That's right, because he was p- still performing. Uh, that's right for a time yeah that's right that's right yeah that's right i forgot who plays ruth but yeah debbie allen plays um benitha and joe morton plays walter okay all right it's not a bad uh it's not a bad soundtrack either i'm trying to think of this movie as a musical though they have a hilarious song called they don't do it like that anymore after after Mr. Lindner leaves and Lena comes home and Lena says, did they threaten you? Mm. And then they say, oh no, they don't do it like that anymore, mama. And then it's a hilarious song about racism. Huh. Huh. All right. I yeah. To, I have to put that on my radar. The musical that I'll have. Yeah. To yeah. Uh, I always like to point out about Joseph Asagai, who, again, I love Joseph Asagai. And Joseph Asagai, my entire life, I've been working towards trying to be as smooth as Joseph Asagai when he tells Benita to come back to Africa with him. And he tells her, and I quote, I'll show you our mountains and our stars and serve you cool drinks from gourds and teach you the old songs in the ways of our people. I said, Lord, have mercy, Joseph Asaga. Talk that talk. Talk that talk, Joseph Asaga. And then after I finished swooning, I always like to point out that he said all that stuff. But you know what Joseph Asaga never actually says out of his mouth? Come back to Nigeria with me so that you can be a doctor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she peeps that. No, 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 no. She and she says he asked me to come and be a doctor at the end and the last scene. But Joseph Asagai never actually says that. So do you think that she went 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 with him? Because I always got the impression that she really didn't. Like she was infatuated with it, but she didn't go. I don't know. There have been two, and I don't know how authorized they are, but there have been two sequels to Raisin in the Sun. There was a play called and i forget the name of it but the play was actually about benitha mm. and and the play says that benitha went to nigeria and didn't become a doctor but she 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 uh went on into education i've never actually read that play but there's another play by bruce norris mm-hmm. called Clybourne park mm-hmm. that oh. i have read and i have done and I believe there is a reference to Benita being a doctor. Oh, okay. Okay. But neither of these plays were written by Lorraine Hansberry. No, well, no, tragically. Yeah, uh, because, right. Uh, Lorraine Hansberry, who, who 
for Raisin in the Sun was the first African-American female author to have a play performed on Broadway in 1959. Uh, she actually she passed away um, in 1965 at the age of 34, a uh, victim to mm-hmm. pancreatic uh, cancer. She, I don't know if you know this, and people who follow uh, the Michelle Mission uh, newsletter, the Michelle Mission Dispatch, uh, I, I put a little factoid in there that Lorraine Hansberry was actually the inspiration for That's Nina right. Simone's To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. Yes. And also, this is loosely based on some of her biographical information because her family mm-hmm. integrated a community in Chicago. Yeah. And actually had to sue these similar, you know, under these similar circumstances. Right. And a f- uh, famous uh, court case um, was that, uh, what was that? Uh, Hansberry v. Uh, Hansberry v. Lee. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So um, there you go. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. So, Mr. Webb. Yes, Mr. Williams. Because we do keep things structured. And formal mm-hmm. here on the Michelle Mission. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend a raisin in the sun? Absolutely, I would absolutely recommend people to see a raisin in the sun. Um, I think it is a film that, despite the its age, still has so much to say about the black experience. Uh, 1959, 1961, 1971, 81, 2001, and next year. Next year, this thing will still be offering commentary on the black experience. Um, it is a, a phenomenal piece of work. Um, and I, I look forward now to the opportunity to try and see it on stage and, and like, mm-hmm. like really, Propped up on, on, you know, get some some lights, some big lights on it. Um, but definitely go see this film. It's the next best thing to see in the original, uh, mm-hmm. the original production because you, you can't see that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, definitely go see a raisin in the sun and 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 buy it. Put it on your shelf. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I I cannot recommend this film enough. I'm so glad that you ended with buy it because I really do think people should own this film and i really do think this is a film that people should watch over and over again because it really does reward uh viewings uh repeat viewings it really does this is a film this is a story that is in the dna of of black drama like like from you know i mentioned fences but you know hell I think there's a little bit of mama in even something like Medea. Like, oh, yeah. like I think, oh, yeah. you know, I think the DNA yeah, of easily, this thing, easy. Yeah. the DNA of this thing is everywhere. And, and this, this, yeah, this, this is a masterpiece. Oh, this, this is a great film. Lena Younger, it, it, never mind Medea, Leah, Lena Younger, the character, Lena Younger, the mama in this, A Raisin in the Sun, is in every mama Ever since, like after yeah. this, this is the archetype for the black mama for at least the next fifty years. Easy, you 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 can find one or two representations that pulled from this source material. Easy, yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you should absolutely watch 
a raisin in the sun. Yeah, definitely, ladies and gentlemen. And and read the book and read the the, the writings of Lorraine Hansberry. She only wrote one other play, uh, Deborah Battle. Um, let us know the sign in Sidney Bernstein's mm-hmm. window. Um, uh, just look up some Lorraine Hansberry. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Please do. Do yourself that favor. All right. All right. Well, it's December. Right. It's a new month here on the Michelle Mission. December next week, ladies and gentlemen. And that means we've got uh, four new movies that we are going to be watching in this month. And for the month of December, Vince and I ha- are going to be bringing you not one, not two, but three very special guests here on the Michelle Mission for the next three weeks. It promises to be a lot of fun. We're going to kick things off next week. In just a moment when I tell you what we're going to watch. (laughs) Before I do that, I'm going to invite you to follow the Michelle Mission everywhere on social media. Be it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It don't even matter. Follow the Michelle Mission at Michelle Mission. Like and follow us also on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube page. If you have any feedback that you want to share with us, email us at Mission at gmail.com. Michelle is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. Mission at gmail.com. And if you really want to help our show, you can go to the michellemission.com and hit swag for all of the cool designs and t-shirts and trinkets that we have there for your buying pleasure. Because trust me, every sale goes a long way to keeping this show free for you. The Michelle Mission is available in an edited form every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM Philly Cam People Powered Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up with the Michelle Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU FM 91.7, the voice of Drexel University. The Michelle Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com curated podcast for your earbuds. Okie dokie. Vince, next week here on the Michelle Mission. Yes. We. we, No, you go. No, I, I, I will. I, I'm going to go and say that I was going to choose something, but then Lynn intrigued me <laughs> with another choice, a film that is thematically a little bit, maybe not Christmas, but it's certainly about presents. <laughs> One of the most bizarre films. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not that movie. Not ne- that, That's not next week. That's not next week. Wait, what's next week? That's not next week. Next week, we are, we are welcoming back. Oh, my bad, my bad, <laughs> my bad. I flew too close to the sun. <laughs> yes, yes. I yes. said I'm going program. <laughs> <laughs> next week, we are welcoming back for her third trip on the mission. Yeah, ladies and all the way from sunny California. Jordan Calling of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. She will be joining us as we will be reviewing from 2020, where it, believe it or not, had 
a very small theater release, so it counts. We're going to be reviewing 2020's Bad Hair. That's yes. right. That film that y'all been laughing at on Hulu, we're going to be reviewing it next week with Jordan Calling right here on the Me Show Mission. Looking forward to that. I've spoken to Jordan in a minute. I know she she went out to to California and became a big big muckety muck producer at I Maximum know. Fun. So it'll be I nice know. to chop it up with her again. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um that's next week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, until then, we here on the Michelle Mission, the Men of Michelle, hope that each and every one of you stay safe, um, be happy, be well. Uh, thank you. You know, we want to give thanks to you for following our show each and every week. Um, you know, me and Vince are nuts, so we probably would have found a way to do something like this anyway. But it's that <laughs> it's, it's just that much more rewarding to do it for you and with you yes. every week. Um, and thank you, Vince, because uh, and thank you, Lynn. I, I appreciate you, brother. Love you, dog. Yes. All right. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen. Please have a safe holiday. Mask up. He's Vince. I'm Lynn. And in parting, we say, "We'll see you when it's time to meet again." It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>